0: Wherever you are in the world, thank you for tuning in to this episode of The Badminton Podcast, a community for badminton players, by badminton players, proudly brought to you by Villan. We talk all things badminton and aim to inspire you to be better in your game and in life by celebrating the people and stories of our global badminton community, whether they be past or present professional players, social players, officials, or fans. We're your hosts, Jeff
1: and Henry. And we love badminton. From the bottom of our hearts, we'd just like to say thank you to everyone who has listened to, shared and been part of the podcast. It wouldn't be possible without you all. If you do enjoy our episodes and can spare just a couple of dollars each month, you can really help keep the podcast going by supporting us on Patreon. Just visit www.patreon.com slash Podcast. We'll leave the link in the description. The Badminton Podcast is brought to you by Volant. Henry and I founded Volant out of our own frustration with the confusing, bright and unsightly clothes we saw in badminton all over the world. But now, it's so much bigger than that. Our mission is to simplify the badminton journey and show the world how incredible badminton is. So, make sure you check out our badminton basics at volantwear.com
0: and follow us on our socials at volantwear. So, today we welcome Anna Mikalkova onto the podcast. Anna is a women's singles badminton player from Kharkiv, Ukraine, hopefully I said that correctly. She has been representing Ukraine since she was a European junior and has won a few international junior tournaments in both singles and doubles. Now although she has been a semi-finalist in both women's singles and women's doubles in the Ukrainian national championships, she now mainly focuses on women's singles. She currently lives and trains in Denmark at the Center of Excellence. Due to COVID and the lack of tournaments, Anna is currently focused on improving her physicality, technical skills, and mental state. Now, although she misses playing tournaments, she is grateful for the time and opportunity to focus on further development as a player.
2: i always been uh, the person who tried to track my emotions on court, track how I feel, and why I feel this way, what makes me more focused on the next point, for example, what can distract me from winning the set, for example. So I think at some point it's much easier to be single players, I think, because you don't need to communicate with the other person. And I think in doubles is quite important. But at the same time, you gotta do it alone and you really must know yourself very well. You really must track all those small feelings that you got during the match i think just analyze that find the way you feel better on court but no one can do it better than yourself
0: now welcome onto the podcast anna
2: Thank you, guys. Thank you for having me.
0: No problem. So before we started this podcast, Anna did mention that she was feeling a little bit nervous. So before we get into the crux of everything, we're going to ask you a few questions just to break the ice a bit. And speaking of ice, what is your go-to flavor of ice cream?
2: Mint and chocolate. Mint
0: and chocolate. That Henry
1: really likes mint and chocolate as well. Yeah,
0: I love it. I always tell him
1: that it's something that kids like because it tastes like toothpaste. But...
2: (laughs) I don't know many people who likes that. It.
0: Well, it's two out of three.
1: Yeah, you're a majority in this little group, but I think it's not really a majority. I think most people don't like mint and chocolate, but that's okay. That's interesting. <laughs> what movie type, like what genre of
0: movie do you like to watch?
2: I think mostly thrillers. Oh man,
0: I can't do that. Sorry, we, we agree on the mint ice cream, but not, not the thrillers. Sorry, Anna. Yeah. <laughs> How about cat versus dogs? What do you prefer?
2: Uh, Definitely cats. Cats? Yeah, I'm a cat lover.
0: Do you have
1: many cats at home?
2: I have one now, but in Ukraine. But I used to have two.
1: Yeah, I think Henry and I are a little bit more dog people, but that's okay. We can still be friends. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) If you were going to sing in karaoke, which song would you choose first?
2: That's, uh, That's a hard question because... Actually, so shy to sing. I think I would choose something Russian, some kind of Russian music,
0: yeah, okay. <laughs> cool. like any particular genre of Russian music?
2: I think just uh, pop music. Yeah. like that. I'm actually a big fan of not a big fan, but I really like Russian pop music from two thousand from 10s. Cool, cool, cool. All right.
0: Well, last one. If you had to evacuate your house or where you're living now in the center of excellence within one minute, what three things would you take with you?
2: My phone,
1: Babinson racket.
2: Mm, yeah.
0: <laughs> no, no, you don't have to say that. Don't worry.
2: Bring <laughs> my phone, my passport. I know. Maybe Babinson shoes, actually.
0: Babinson shoes. Who needs a racket when yeah. you can just take your shoes?
2: <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah. Probably just documents and phone.
0: Yeah. Awesome.
2: Okay, so
1: Anna, that's enough of the quick fire questions. Now, in the introduction that Henry gave, he spoke about you being focused on your physicality, your technical skills and your mental state. Can you elaborate a little bit on what you mean by those three things?
2: So I think it is mostly about just development in all areas as a badminton player and focusing on uh, small details in physical mental and technical part. And I think now we have uh, a great setup and I feel like I'm improving in all these areas. For example, like physical part, I've always been quite uh, endurance, but uh, I think I lack of uh, strength and this explosive force, so we mostly work on that. And technical part is just... I feel like uh, it has improved a lot. And I feel like I'm more skilled now. and have uh, more variation on my sh- in my shots. Really happy with that.
0: Fantastic. So that's really cool to hear. I mean, you've been at the center of excellence since 2019. So it hasn't been too long now, but uh, it certainly sounds that you've definitely improved and developed as a player. Now you touched on the physicality side of things and the technical skills side of things. How about the practice to improve your mental state?
2: Yeah, I think I actually should say that this is the first thing that has improved here because for me, the environment is really supportive here. I really like the way we work with coaches and just the atmospheres at practices is uh, pretty cool, I would say. I'm also working with mental coach now and just trying to develop this part by myself because I think I lack of many things mentally. And I also have some, I would call them problems that I should fix.
1: Sure. And when you talk about the center there being very good for training environments and all of those things, what are the biggest differences between the training there compared to when you're training back at home? So, was it that you could speak more easily to the coaches? Was it that everyone felt like a team? Was it the training's harder? Is the training easier? Is the training different? What about it makes it such a good environment for you?
2: Yeah, it actually has a really big difference from what I used to have in Ukraine. Just the setup is really good for me, first of all. Then I know I feel really comfortable with the coach's team. I'm really happy with them. And uh, for me, it's just much easier to work with them, to talk about everything related to badminton, to my concerns, to I know maybe my mental state and everything, and uh, also, could I start again? Yeah, it's really different from what I used to have in Ukraine. I feel like I don't feel constantly pressured here, and this is what I used to have in Ukraine. I feel much better talking to the coaches. I think people here are less in the same situation. It feels like a really good team with a good goal. I feel like I moved to a different culture of badminton. And uh, now I see badminton and benton community from the whole different perspective.
0: That's fantastic. I'm glad that you see it that way and have moved into a more positive and collaborative environment. You mentioned earlier about having a mental coach. And I think for a lot of listeners, they probably, as far as recreational players are concerned anyway, they probably have very little knowledge or understanding of what a mental coach is or does. So would you be able to give us an idea of some of the things that you have gone through with your mental coach or even just some insights for for us to share with the listeners?
2: I think now I'm mostly working on focus and concentration on court and also on my confidence and the way I see myself into this uh, badminton career and the way I see people who support me and who adapt in me. I think we work also a lot. Mostly now it's uh, focus on court, how I feel off-court about badminton and uh, about my way of improvement.
1: Yeah, that's really great. And we've spoken to a few different athletes, badminton players, about how it feels to be a singles player especially because from my experience, I've been a singles player. I'm sure it's the same with doubles as well, but you've got someone to help you on the court, which can be, I guess, reassuring. But one of the comments that we had from a guy named Samuel Ricketts that we had on the podcast was talking about being on the court as a singles player and developing as a person and knowing yourself a lot more while you're on court. So not just that you're playing singles or playing your matches, but when you're training and when you're we're talk, doing your self-talk and you're going home and you're recovering and thinking about your match and thinking about your training it really shows you who you are and you get to know yourself very, very deeply about how you react to certain situations, how you feel in certain situations, et cetera. Do you find that I guess with the center there and now with your mental coach, you're beginning to explore a little bit more about that whole person of you rather than just you as a badminton player.
2: Yeah. I think I'm just in general tend to self-reflection and overthinking. So, I've always been uh, the person who tried to track my emotions on court, track how I feel and why I feel this way, what makes me more focused on the next point, for example, what can distract me from winning the set, for example. So I think at some point it's much easier to be single players. I think, because you don't need to communicate with the other person, and I think in doubles it's quite important. But at the same time, you got to do it alone and you really must know yourself very well and you really must track all those small feelings that you got during the match. I think just analyze that, find the way you feel better on court, but no one can do it better than yourself.
0: From the sounds of it, Anna, you've been able to gain a lot more clarity into your mental state since you've been at the center of excellence. And I do—I must apologize for starting off the podcast getting so deep so quickly. So what we might do now is we might come back to that potentially later in the podcast, but we want to do a bit of a rewind and just get a bit of a better understanding of where you're coming from as a player, how you manage to develop yourself as a player by starting with... How did you get involved in badminton? How did you get started? Where did you get started?
2: I started to play at the age of 10. I just uh, finished doing synchronized swimming. I didn't like it. And I think I've always been a bit lazy child. Uh, But my parents really want me to do some sport. And one day my mom just offered me badminton. And I said, yeah, okay, whatever. And uh, I think first, Two years, I wasn't really into it, didn't like trainings and so, but uh, I played my first tournament on my 13th birthday, I think, and I got uh, a final and I was like so happy and I just enjoyed it a lot. So I think from that moment, I just started to train harder and uh, I just wanted to win more matches, something like that.
1: That's great. So you're 13 years old, you got your first quarterfinal, then you started to take it more seriously and you trained more. What was your training like when you were 13? Was Were you doing it once a week, twice a week, three times? How did it look then? And then how did it increase over time?
2: I think at that moment, I already started in like four or five times per week. But then and at the age of 14, 15, I started to practice two times per day. I think two times per week... I had uh, two practices, one morning and one in evening and the rest of days I had just one practice per day.
1: And then when you were playing over there and I guess the reason for you moving to the, the center of excellence, what were the biggest challenges or obstacles you had to overcome within the system when you were training and playing at home?
2: This is actually um, not a really pleasant story, I would say, unfortunately. But the season before, season 2018, 2019, I was doing quite well. I was playing tournament and performing well. I was gaining points at the world ranking and climbing at this world ranking. And uh, I think I was quite happy uh, with the way I was performing at that moment and playing tournaments. And then I actually first time visited the Center of Excellence in Denmark for two weeks just like this, three or two weeks. And then I, straight after I played Denmark Challenge and I did very well. And uh, I was really happy and proud of my result. And uh, after that, I just realized that there is like no way for develop for me in Ukraine. Because uh, at that moment I had been doing the same what I was doing when I was 15. And then I realized that this is uh, not the way to improve for me. I think at that moment, I already felt this lack of development for me. And I actually started this conversation with my coach in Ukraine. At some point, I think over that, I got uh, kicked out from my club. And I couldn't practice for one month. Oh, wow. And it's like, yeah. And uh, I think I was really depressed because badminton always been on my life. And I didn't know how could I fix that? And how could I get back to my normal routine? But then after one month, we kind of uh, found an agreement, but I definitely dropped in my level. I also dropped a lot in my world ranking. At that moment, Olympic qualification has started and uh, I couldn't really play a lot of tournaments. So I think this uh, situation gave me a lot of confidence in myself, in my like inner power, but I learned a lot i met uh, many people who have helped me a lot but as i said i dropped in the world riding quite a lot so now it uh, makes it a bit harder
0: yeah i can imagine that time was incredibly difficult for you when you you know open yourself up to be vulnerable and reach out to your coach and then ultimately get bounced back and have to leave essentially and and not play the sport you love for a month for that reason it would have been devastating when you do I guess look back at that period when you said you're you know you're grateful for the people that have helped you over that time what was it about that experience that helped you make the decision to ultimately move to the center of excellence
2: i think at that point i definitely couldn't realize that this is something that will help me to improve as a person and as a player i think i was just really exhausted mentally and uh I think I just was really depressed, and i always been uh, depending a lot of going on in my badminton life. So I think you guys could imagine how hard it was for me at that moment. And uh, I think, first of all, it just this situation just helped me to make this decision to move to the center of excellence. I think if I wouldn't have this argument, I think that decision I would still make probably, but. It definitely was harder for me.
1: Yeah. So looking back, maybe I know it it was very difficult at the time to see that, hey, this could be a good thing in helping me to make the decision. But maybe looking back, you're thinking, yeah, maybe that was the right thing for me. Even though it was was hard at the time, you had a fall in your world ranking and your level. But it's great to see that you made a decision and you've been very happy with your development in Denmark at the Center for Excellence. So that's really good. So... Now that you're a women's singles player, or you're focusing on women's singles, but you had a, a past in playing women's doubles as well. Is there a reason why you chose to go for the singles instead of the doubles? Was it is it related to the, like you said before, you don't have to communicate things as well with your partner and you know yourself better? Or was there another reason you chose women's singles over women's doubles?
2: No, I think it's mostly because of my moving to the center of excellence because this is the center for single players. So, I in general just more focused on uh, singles, but uh, I think uh, playing doubles is really fun and I really enjoy it. And I think a woman doubles is also possible to play if you're a single player. So, I think I would play if I got the opportunity. But now I'm just mostly focused on uh, singles, just because of my presence at the center of excellence.
0: Yeah, that can, makes complete sense. I mean, you could always knock on next door and ask Iris to play some women's doubles with you.
2: I would actually do sometimes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, That's excellent. Now talking about enjoying playing women's doubles, enjoying playing women's singles, you talked briefly earlier about the first tournament you won when you were 13, and you were so happy at that point in time. What is it about badminton? that makes you love the sport to this day?
2: I think this is just the way I can reach my full potential at this moment. I think I've always been quite competitive and uh, I like uh, to win, but I also like to practice hard. I really enjoy this uh, athlete's life. I really enjoy practicing hard. I really like this uh, tough physical practices. I know (laughs) I, I really enjoy it. And yeah, I just really love badminton. And uh, I just really enjoy being part of this community.
1: And just a little correction before Henry, was a quarter finalist of the when she was 13, not the winner. But. She was just so happy. <laughs> I just
0: assumed she won. <laughs>
1: <laughs> now, Annie, you said, you said, I think, five different times that you really enjoy working hard and the athlete's life because it is about working hard and, and the physical sessions, et cetera. What about the physical sessions make it so enjoyable? Is it like... Like before a physical session, how do you feel? Because I know that the way I felt and a lot of athletes feel just before they're lining up to do the 10, 400 meter sprints or 10, 400 meter intervals, there's just a feeling of like dread in the body, just thinking, oh, I know I'm going to be so tired when I'm doing this. But of course, when you finish, it's a great feeling. When you're doing it, and and the push and the mental strength that you have to muster to do it, that's also enjoyable, I think, as well. But what what for you? Why is it that working hard is so enjoyable? Like, what does it mean to you other than just working hard? Does it mean something deeper? Does it mean that you're you feel like you're feeling your full potential? Does it mean that you're always growing? What about it makes it so delightful to train hard?
2: Yeah, I think first of all, as you mentioned, is feeling afterwards that you've done hard work. And uh, I know I just feel so empowered afterwards. Yeah, of course, if you do like 10 times 100 meters, this is like such a struggle, especially if it's summertime. But then afterwards, you feel like you have done something really good. And then you actually capable of doing that. And not so many people can survive this. And... Uh, I think it's also about uh, exploring myself, exploring my body and uh, how I can push myself to the limits and uh, how far I can go.
0: Yeah, awesome. That's exactly what we want to hear from a professional athlete. Now, in, I guess in terms of what you have plans for the future, we know that at the moment you are trying to develop yourself as a player so that when you do finally come back to playing tournaments, you can perform at hopefully a higher level than when you uh, were performing in the was it 2017-2018 to 2018 season, where you were actually playing quite well. So hopefully when you get back to the courts, you'll be performing to that level and higher. But in terms of your big and lofty goal in terms of the future, what are you sort of looking forward to or planning, or have set as a goal for yourself?
2: I think my biggest goal is to qualify to Olympic 2024 in Paris. And I actually have never won the Ukrainian National Championship. I think this is also one of the biggest goals for me. And basically, I just, I think a few years ago, I just set a goal that I want to win international tournament. So this is still on.
1: Fantastic. In terms of the background that you come from, Anna, uh, I know Ukraine, but I'm not really aware of the, I guess, the badminton culture and the popularity of badminton in sports like Ukraine and I guess the, the countries in Eastern Europe. What's badminton like there? Is it something that's recognized? Do many people know it? Is it popular? Does it get much publicity and funding?
2: I actually think now it is growing and uh, badminton is doing much better in Ukraine. I think Ukraine Badminton Federation is moving in the right direction. I would say trying to get more publicity for badminton. And as you know, we're going to have European Championship in Kiev, which is such a big event for Ukraine, such a big event for badminton community, and we are really looking forward for that. Yeah, I think badminton has developed a lot in past three, four years. And actually, Ukraine Badminton Federation is uh, supporting me here with my stay at the center of excellence. And I should say that this is like a really big improvement because uh, before when I was younger, I can't really remember that I had uh, this kind of founding just to improve myself. The administration and our federation has changed like three years ago. I think we made, as a Benton community, really big progress within these three years.
0: Yeah, that's incredible that they're willing to support you on your journey over at the Centre of Excellence, Anna. In terms of your plans for the Olympics, trying to make it to the 2024 Olympics. Where do you see Ukraine as part of that plan? Because I know when you're talking about your past and, and the pressures that you got, and obviously some of the, I guess, the worst or most challenging parts of your life was in the Ukraine uh, when you, when you did have a fallout with your coach. Now, where do you see Ukraine as part of that journey to 2024? Are you spending your time at the center of excellence of majority of the time? Or does Ukraine also play a part in that for you?
2: Yeah, I'm a player here and I stay here full time. But I'm also a member of a national team of Ukraine. Yeah, I think now it's just Ukrainian badminton federation and uh, badminton community plays the big part in my career rather than my first coach and uh, people from my club and uh, it's actually quite difficult because I used to be really attached to this club and to these people, but it's life and this is how it is. I'm actually trying to be positive about the past and about the things I've done and other people have done because all I've done my life brought me here and uh, I'm happy at the present moment. So this is the most important thing.
1: So you, you do plan to spend basically a lot of time at the center of excellence and probably not go back to the Ukraine for much training, are you thinking?
2: Yeah, I stay here until the end of this year for sure. And I think here is just the best setup for me to prepare for Olympic qualification for Paris 2020, mm-hmm. but I'm still a member of Ukrainian national team. I think I still consider myself as a Ukrainian player quite a lot. Yep. And
1: then you of course you'll go back to win the nationals, right? One of your goals you'll still go yeah. back to win the nationals, yeah.
2: But I'm, I'm really happy to represent Ukraine and uh I not consider myself as an independent player. Okay. I think I am just more independent from my club and I used to be really attached to this club and people are there, but now I feel like I'm more Benton player representing Ukraine, rather rather representing my club. Yes, understood. Yeah,
1: definitely. So your goal, like you said, is Paris 2024. Because of COVID, Tokyo Olympic Games in 2020 has been pushed to this year, 2021. So it's actually only three years or let's say three and a half years away because at time of recording now, we're in February 2021. So for someone out there who doesn't know how to start qualifying for an Olympic Games. Can you give us a bit of a run as to what you need to do to qualify? So when does the qualification start? When do you need to start playing your tournaments? Let's assume that all tournaments are running and there's no COVID, just so it's easier for the explanation, because now it's very hard to explain what tournaments you'll play. But if there was no COVID, how long is an Olympic qualification campaign how far early do you need to do it to start it? And what are the things that you need to do in this, say, three years leading up to an Olympic Games?
2: I think for me personally, it's just next two years are going to be a building up period where I still improve mentally, physically, and technically. And when I will try to find my style and find a way I can actually Feel comfortable and uh, be confident on court, and then Olympic qualifications starts at the end of August and finish in April, and you got to get uh, ten best results and score points to get the list of the players for Olympic Games.
0: Yeah, and I think it's important because some players do, I think, spread themselves too thin, which is when they play pretty much every single tournament that they can get to. And what happens is that they don't have that strategic focus on, on some of the key ones to gain those points, I believe is what you were trying to say, Anna. Is that correct?
2: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's true. Because I think people are trying to play as many tournaments as possible, but uh, sometimes they get just burned out because of that. And I think the time for just practicing and training is also important between this tournament. So it's maybe a good strategy to be focused on some key results, rather than play everything and uh, travel a lot during that time.
1: And during the Olympic qualification period, of course, it's very competitive. There's a lot of people striving to qualify for the Olympic Games. How far in advance should you start playing tournaments before Olympic qualification periods so that you make sure that your world ranking is high enough so you can make it into the main draw for tournaments? You don't have to play qualifying. Qualifying is so hard, three matches in one day, and then you have to, you have to play the very next day in main draw. How far in advance do you plan to, or do you think that you'll start playing more tournaments to get your world ranking up in preparation for Olympic qualification period?
2: I think, of course, as all players, I will start as soon as tournaments will run again, as usual. But I think as a preparation for Olympic qualification, I would start like around 10, 12 months before just to score some points and uh, maybe get a better draw uh, by being quite high in ranking.
0: Yeah, perfect. So you do sound like you've got a bit of a plan there, Anna. And we do hope and wish you all the best with the Olympic qualifications when that time comes. Uh, of course, it is a few years away from now. In terms of what you mentioned earlier, you're talking about spending the next couple of years, you know, trying to find your style, just knowing that it's the right one for you. In terms of your particular style, how have you managed to explore that? And has your coach helped you to find that particular style that you're talking of?
2: Yeah, I think uh, the best thing in my style is uh, being really fighting fighter player and really endurance player. I like to run a lot and uh, I heard people don't really like to play against me just because they got to run a lot and I just keep fighting for every shuttle. And I think I improved quite a lot uh, technically, but before when I was not that skilled, I just... Uh, was fighting every time and just running all around the court to win that rally.
1: Sure. And in terms of your coaches, who have you found any particular coaches that have really helped you develop your game? So maybe not just the fighting spirit that you have, because it sounds like you always had the fighting spirit, but is there any one coach or several coaches that you could say really helped you with, a particular part of your game or your development and what did they help you with specifically?
2: I really appreciate uh, coach's team here and uh, I think Stutys Naviskas has contributed a lot in my career. I think he just helped me to be more confident and also trust the process of improvement. I think I've always been really demanding to myself and uh, really impatient in terms of progress. And result, and it might sound so cliche, but I think he really believes in myself. I really appreciate that, and uh, I would really like to work with him. His uh, professionalism, his uh, philosophy—I think this is uh, something that really helped me at the moment when I just moved to the COE. I think I also should uh, mention that now this is not no longer a coach here, and uh, we still have. Uh, Jürgen van Dijk and Peter Jensen. But we got a new coach, John Dinesen, and he's mostly working with a girls' group. And uh, I also think that he's uh, quite strong and educated as a coach. I feel like um, he has helped me to improve a lot, technically, and also he has helped me to find this flow in my game.
0: Yeah, it's really cool. It's because... You know, at the start, you did talk about your physicality, your technical skills, as well as your mental state. There are often so many different people that that you come across in life, whether that be coaches or players or, or people that are just supporting you that have helped with those different aspects. And it's great to see that with you as well, Anna. Now, having spoken to many professionals on the podcast, we know how awfully lonely this being a singles player can be because there's so many ups and downs. And it's not dissimilar to your story, but it's great to hear that you've been able to put yourself on a more positive trajectory and that you are so grateful for everything that has happened so far, despite those challenges as well. We have had a really great time chatting to you today, Anna, and we're wrapping up now. so. Just from Jeff and I, we do have one more question before we wrap up, and that would be who your predictions for the gold medal winners in the men's singles and women's singles event at the 2021 Tokyo Olympics would be. Of course, you won't be part of this Olympics, so we can let you vote for the women's as well as the men's. So if you wouldn't mind giving us who you think your winners would be.
2: Yeah, I think a men's singles is uh, going to be Vixar Axelsson. And uh, for women's singles, I think I think this is going to be uh, Carolina Marin. So European players will dominate at this Olympic Games. Fantastic. So just for everyone out there listening,
1: we have accumulated a few votes from different podcast guests. And at the moment, in men's singles, Kento has four votes. Victor Axelson has two votes. Tati Ying has one vote. And Carolina has five votes. So I think the the performances that carolina and victor had in Thailand I think have definitely put a lot more confidence in them because at their best they were amazing unstoppable their intensity was was crazy it was awesome and the quality that they played for the entirety of the whole two weeks unfortunately they couldn't get there in the third week but although two two finals but yeah just crazy how how amazing they played for for that long so That's fantastic. Now, Anna, for someone who is looking to see what you're up to and follow your progress while you're training and while you're qualifying for the Olympic Games in 2024, how can they follow you or keep up with your progress?
2: I think post a lot on my Instagram and maybe I should post more on Facebook. So this is uh, two platforms where people can find me and reach out to me.
0: Awesome, so we will put your uh, where to find you in our podcast description as well for all those that are listening. And Anna, once again, thank you for coming onto the podcast from Jeff and I.
2: Thank you, thank you very much, guys.
0: So,
1: from Henry and I at the Badminton Podcast, thanks for tuning in to this episode. If you've enjoyed it or found it useful, be sure to share it with your family, friends, teammates and someone outside your badminton circle too. Because with your
0: help, we can show the world how incredible badminton is. To keep up to date with new episodes and who we're interviewing next, make sure you connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn at The Badminton Podcast, and on Twitter at The Badminton Pod. Feel free to contact us and ask any questions, give us feedback, or request topics for future episodes. We love hearing from you. And remember to check out and shop for your simple and minimalist badminton gear at volantwear.com. Catch you on the next episode. Bye. Bye.